Good morning. Wow, I am loud. Am I loud? <laughs> we went out to dinner last night with this family, with Aaron, Vicky, and, and their daughter, Jocelyn. And one thing that uh, I learned that I didn't, uh, I wouldn't have known unless I was with them, is that through that coup that happened, their daughter, Jocelyn, understood what freedom means. And so she, I don't know if, she was, if you were already going to be a student at, at Liberty University, but they're here for six months. They're taking her back there to begin going through Liberty University. But I said, I just thought, wow. To me, that is something that we take for granted. What we have in America, and we're praying about our voting. So this just ties in so well with that, that here you have a young lady who understands something through difficulty. And so we're praying for you. We're going to pray for you guys, obviously. We're glad you're here. It's been awesome, and thanks for dinner last night. <laughs> now, uh, I'm going to be talking about sin this morning. So I thought I would dress up a little bit just because of the topic. But I'm not wearing my tie. Okay. Let me say this just to begin before I have you stand. I am an expert sinner, and so are you. We didn't have to be mentored on how to sin. And so what we have to be mentored in is how not to sin. Say amen to that. And so today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in your rebellion. We're going to talk about that this morning. The whole idea of the deceitfulness of sin for us. So would you stand? We're going to read in we'll read Hebrews chapter 6, 3, where we are right now, 7 through 19. We'll do a little responsive reading that actually includes, this, this is quoted from this psalm, and then we'll get into it. I'll pray. I'm reading from the New King James, uh, whatever version, if you, I hope you have your Bible or something in front of you. These, the text that we're going through will be yours to follow. I'll put all of the verses up on the, Bible, up on the screen. And uh, I know that I have a lot of scripture, it'll be all up there, but don't try and keep up with me. Just ask me for the notes, okay? Here we go. Therefore, verse 7, Hebrews 3, if you will hear his voice. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Responsive reading is Psalm 95. It includes this, if you hear his voice, and so the, the psalm title is a call to worship and obedience. You can't have both 
You have to have both together. So I'll read the first and odd verses if you'd read the second together and even verses. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. For the Lord is, is the great God and the great king above all gods. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Oh, I'm sorry. I just love to read the Bible. There you go. Uh, where are we? Verse 9. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, and, threw, and though they saw my work. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to divide between the thoughts and intents of our hearts. We're looking at our hearts this morning. Let us not harden our hearts. Lord, the things I've prepared, I ask, Lord, you break them fresh. Feed us. We're hungry to know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Lord, we are just wanting to be worshipers of the true and living God. We want to be living our lives obediently according to your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. So these things, Lord, I pray you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this, uh, I have a f more of those outlines that are, uh, I'll put on the stage. We're, we're going to be, this morning we begin this, this second section of warning. There are five of them in, in the book of Hebrews. These parenthetical warnings, if you take them out, uh, you can do that and still read the book. But these warnings are why the book is written. So this morning we're starting in this 26 verse second part of it. Do not harden your hearts in unbelief. So if you'll hear his voice. Three things in outlining these verses this morning. Number one, do not harden your heart. Secondly, beware lest you be hardened. And third, hold fast your confidence. Do not harden your heart. Beware lest you be hardened. Hold fast your confidence. So these, the second parenthetical warning repeats this phrase three times. In verse 7, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In verse 15, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then the third time in our next study, in four, chapter 4, verse 7, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So obviously the message is, if you hear his voice today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, today, do not harden your hearts. So let me read again verses 7 through 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works, how long? Forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Pretty bleak in some ways. This, the writer is referring to this rebellion at Kadesh Barnea. In Numbers 13 and 14, you can read all about it. But God told them to enter the promised land. 
The elders came to Moses wanting to send some men ahead to spy out the land. So they picked seven, 12 men, one from each tribe, and sent them in. As they went in and looked at everything that was going on, they came back. Ten of those spies came back with a bad report, an evil report, actually is what it's called. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came back with a super encouraging message. Let's go for it. The ten, these ten spies discouraged the people saying, the land was indeed credible, incredible. It flows with milk and honey. And, and, and then they, they had all the fruit there. They had to carry a great thing between two people. So they said, it's incredible. But the occupants, they said, are too many. They're too big. They're too strong for us. The cities are too fortified and too large. We shouldn't go in. That is called rebellion because God told them to go in. And we think of rebellion as being, rebellion is any time we're saying we're not going to do what God said to do. It's of the heart. So Joshua and Caleb, in the midst of this whole thing, stopped them, quieted the people, saying, let us go up at once and take possession, for we, will, for we are well able to overcome it. So Joshua and Caleb say, hold on a second. But the majority, watch out for the majority, said there's no way. We can't do it. So what happened is any faith that might have been among the people was pointedly negated by an evil heart of unbelief. So in Numbers chapter 14, that chapter, all the congregation, when they hear this bad report, they lift up their voices, they weep. They cried out. They complained against who? Moses and Aaron, same response that's been happening up to this point. The whole congregation, if only we died in the land of Egypt. Sound familiar? Because when we, when we go through numbers, we'll see this. But in Exodus, those first few landing spots contain the same things right fresh out of Egypt. The Lord brought us into the land to fall. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Now, this is after, I mean, after they've seen all this incredible things that God's done for them. So Moses and Aaron, hearing that, fall on their face before the people. Joshua and Caleb tear their clothes and then say to the people, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are, they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And so all the congregation, you know what they responded with? Stone them. Kill them. And the glory of the Lord appears. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? It's not a rebellion, it's rejecting God. How long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them. So Moses begins to intercede for them, which he did often, incredibly. And he said, pardon their sin. This is their leader, who they're wanting to kill and get another one. And so in Numbers 14, here's the Lord's response. I have pardoned according to your word. 
But truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. It's going to happen as God will have that happen. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test ten to the test now these ten times, and I have not and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall want any of those who rejected me see it. So except for Caleb and Joshua, none of them did. Their children did, but none of them did. Not because of a one-off blunder, but because an ongoing evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. They continually rebelled against God, continually murmured and complained and despised him and his leaders in their hearts. They despised his word. They despised ultimately his loving authority, his redemptive power that he in brought them to himself, and called them his people. So what the writer is saying is do not harden your hearts. As in they did. Hebrews 3.10 says, they always go astray in their hearts and have not known my ways. Why didn't they know the ways? Because they wouldn't take those. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll go to this often in this context, he says, moreover, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers, all passed through, and all their descendants, all were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. They all partook of those things. They all experienced the redemption and God saving them from Egypt. But then he gives us this verse, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 10. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. We're on our second morning here in Hebrews. It goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These things became our examples. So he's saying basically, hear, look, listen. They all became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As is written, they rose up to play. Do not commit sexual immorality, as they did. Do not tempt Christ, as they did. Do not complain, as they did. So here's the, what happened in this whole thing that we're reading about this morning. And Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, who had a lot of problems in their church, said, Let's, we can't do this stuff. It's rebellion against God. Let us learn by their example what not to do. And then in chapter 10, verse 11, he says this. Now, all these things happen to them as examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the age have come. Do not harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Look. Listen. And do what you're supposed to do. Do what God's called you to do. Learn. Do not harden your heart. Do not go astray in your heart. Do not be a complainer. Oh, <laughs> you don't complain, I know that. Oh, do not be, mur you see, because these are the things that are indicative of a rebellious heart. Now, we might not, we might think it's a little too strong. That's what it says. Do not fear people. 
The fear of man is a snare, but he who trusts the Lord will be saved. Do not lust after evil things. Do not harden your heart. Do not be an idolater. What's an idolater? Idolater is someone who fashions God in their own liking. Not for who he really is, but for who I would like him to be. That's idolatry. It's warned against over and over again in the Bible. Do not commit sexual immorality. Brothers and sisters, we know the plague we have in our nation of sexual immorality. Do not tempt Christ. Well, let me see if God will come through. You see, that's the hardening of the heart to what God has said. Now, it's interesting in Numbers chapter 14, you get to this verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully. He says the same thing about Joshua a few verses later. So here's my first thing I'd like to leave you with this morning. Do not harden your hearts. In other words, as the Holy Spirit says, the warning, do not harden your heart. To We have to make time for the Holy Spirit to speak God's word into our hearts. He will nurture and he will sustain us in a different spirit in following him fully. Do you long for that? Without hearing what God says, without giving time to hear the Bible, the word of God spoken into our hearts. And as I prayed and often do, the word of God, we'll get this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is living and powerful. Sharpen, it's like no other book, sharpened than any two-edged sword, able to divide between the thoughts and intents of what? My heart. The problem is my heart, hardening my heart to God, hardening what he says, going on in things that God's saying, that's sin. How we need to make time to hear what God is saying, is saying. The Holy Spirit is saying it's the Spirit of God that works through the Word of God that changes people's lives. And you're no exception if you will give your time to hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying through the Word of God. Proverbs. I have a few scriptures. I'll send them if you want those. But in Proverbs, it says this. My son... Give attention to my words. Give, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it flows the issues of life. It's heart. And God sees the heart, and God knows the heart, and God wants to show us. In fact, Psalm 139, after saying, God, you know me, you're with me wherever I am, I can't escape you. You knit me together, my mother's room, I'm wonderful, fearfully made, all those things. Then he says, Lord, search me and know my what? Heart. Because he knew in and of himself, he wouldn't see it unless God, the heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. I, the Lord, test the heart, Jeremiah. Proverbs, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Job said, as to man, God said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Do we know what evil is? 
Are we willing to identify it for what it is? Sin. Depart, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Psalm 37, depart from evil and do good. Proverbs 3, 7, don't, do not be wise in your own eyes. Depart, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Proverbs 16, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. Do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Peter said this, finally all of you be of one mind, have compassion for one another. Love as brothers be tender hearted. Not hard hearted, tender hearted. Be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessings, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. He goes on, verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Can we identify what evil is? We certainly can through the Bible. Depart from evil, not from the living God. Those two are opposite. Departing from evil is opposite departing from the living God. But to go in ways of evil and sin is to depart from the living God. Are you getting a sense of the warning here? The admonition for us? Beware lest you be hardened is his next point. Lest you be hardened. Beware, brother, lest there be any of you that evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one of the daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Lest any of you, that means it can happen to anyone. But check this out. It will happen to anyone who plays around with sin. It will happen to anyone who plays around with evil as God defines it. Charles Hayden Spurgeon, who was known as the Prince of Preachers, said this, quote, Sin is the greatest evil in the universe. It is the parent of all other ills. All manner of evils draw their bitterness from this fount of wormwood and gall. If a man had every possession mortal could desire, sin could turn every blessing into a curse. And on the other hand, if a man had nothing for his inheritance but suffering, but stood clear from all sin, his afflictions, his losses, his deprivations might each one be a gain to him. We ought not to pray so much against sickness or trial or temptation or even against death itself as against sin. Satan cannot hurt us except as he is armed with the poisonous arrows of sin. Lord, keep us from sin. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There is no evil like the evil of sin. Deliver us from it. Amen. Unquote. What is sin? The word in the Greek is harmatia, which means basically missing the mark. I love what my pastor Chuck illustrates. He said, say you're given an arrow, a quiver full of ten arrows, and you got a target, and you got to hit the center. That's the bullseye. So you pull back the first, shh, miss. You're a sinner. But then another guy gets up, got his ten arrows. First one, bullseye. Second one, bullseye. Third, bullseye. Goes through the nine. Gets to the tenth and it just misses. You're a sinner. Do you know who the biggest sinner in the world is? In the Bible, rather, is? 
Moses. He broke all the commandments at one time. First John 3, 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Now, in the, in the, uh, new, li- the living Bible, it says this way, verse, 1 John 3, 4, but those who keep on sinning are against God. For everyone who, every sin is done against the will of God. That's sin. It's missing the mark that God has given to us in the law, in the, command, the Ten Commandments. So sin is a state of being. The state of being. Art Newell wrote this, quote, God created us and sustains our being. He is the absolute sovereign of his creation. Independency is not only the act of a traitor, but God being a holy God, it is the choice of evil. A choice of all that God's holiness infinitely abhors and his government forbids. Therefore, the least sin brings guilt upon the sinner on account of which God must settle according to himself and the infinite demands of his own throne, unquote. When Adam willed to eat the fruit, he departed from God into what is called sin. So in Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, or all sin by nature. I am not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. If someone steals my car, that doesn't make them a car thief. They were already a car thief. That's why they stole the car. See, it's what's in the heart. Sin is not only a state of being. It is a governing principle or power. Paul discovered this as a believer. The law of sin and death. So in Romans 7, verse 23 says, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So he says, I have this battle going on with this principle, this power of sin, that is not negated through the gospel, it's not negated through being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's just superseded by the higher law of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. That's what Paul discovered in Romans. It's a wonderful, must read it. If we're going to understand how to not harden our hearts, we must understand the book of Romans. How this thing, that this thing called sin is a governing principle, a governing power. We have been given the Holy Spirit so that we might be led by the Spirit of God. We might walk in the Spirit. We might know the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin as believers. It is, not, it, it is not something that's mysterious. The Bible, God's Word, if you'll hear what the Holy Spirit says, you'll begin, begin to understand how not to harden our hearts through the deceitfulness of sin. Not to be hardened by sin. Sin as an act or a deed. Omission, commission. Again, the perfect law of liberty that James calls the Bible. But here's where we want to rest a little bit. Sin is deceitful. That means, as Spurgeon said, we shall not go very long into sin before we find out how greatly it lies to us. I'll tell you what. There's one phrase that comes to my mind often these days. I can't stand being lied to. I hate being lied to. Being lied here. Listen, sin is a liar. Satan is a liar, the father of lies. Sin will hide so as not to be seen. Sin loves the darkness and hates the light. 
Sin loves closets. Sin loves locked doors, empty rooms, and time alone. Sin loves its privacy. Sin loves its secrecy. Sin will adapt so it's not to be acknowledged. Like a chameleon changing its colors. Blending in. Lest it stick out. Let me say this. Sin is not personality. Sin is not temperament. Sin is not circumstance. It's not happenstance. Sin is sin. Personalities, yes, there may be from that, the issuing of the heart, sin. Temperaments, sin. But they in themselves are not sin. So, in the, in sin will change its name not to be called sin. We are seeing that so often. We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about hell. They're not pleasant subjects, but listen. Are we going to let this, the lies continue, or are we going to face the fact that sin will destroy us? It's deceitful. In Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress, covetousness called him, himself by the name of prudent thrifty. Lasciviousness was named harmless mirth. Anger was known as good zeal. When God says it's sin. But listen, name it what you want. Name doesn't change anything. Sin by other, any other name is still sin. Call it what you want, it's still evil. The angel of light is no less the devil of darkness. The wolf in sheep's clothing still devours the sheep. Man calls sin an accident, God calls it an abomination. Man calls it an error, God calls it an enmity. Man calls it an infirmity. God calls it iniquity. We call it a blunder. God calls it blindness. We say it's a chance. God says it's a choice. We say a disorder. God says depravity. We say fascination. God says fatality. We say liberty. liberty God says lawlessness. We say a mistake. God says madness. We say a trifle, God says a tragedy. We say a weakness, God says it's willfulness. Sin promises liberty but ends in slavery. Sin promises lasting pleasure but leads to endless misery. Numbers 32, 20. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out from Numbers. Ravi Zacharias said this famous quote, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. The tragedy in this is that, that the late Dr. Zacharias was found out. He was found out. 
years of hidden sin exposed after his death. And in, and in looking into that, his own ministry, expressed regret for misplaced trust in a leader who used his esteem to conceal his sexual misconduct, unquote. Listen, Calvary Chapel pastors are not immune to the hardening of our hearts. We're not immune to these devastating falls. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And I know some personally, and so do you. Sin is deceitful. Sin promises lasting pleasure. It leads to endless misery. It will take you further than you want to go, longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And we hope we have not experienced that very much, but we understand as believers what God says about sin. The treasury of scriptural knowledge on this verse, sin will find you out, says this, quote, among all the motives by which men are induced to embrace sin, the heart of man seems to be chiefly overpowered and prevailed upon by two. Number one, secrecy in committing sin. And number two, immune, impunity with respect to its consequences, unquote. Sin. Headline news just recently. A pastor back in Warsaw, Indiana went before his congregation and confessed to his adulterous, uh, adulterous relationship. And when he was all done, he got a standing ovation from his congregation until the woman, this is some almost 30 years later, and her then husband walked up to that podium, took the microphone and said, the lies and manipulation have to stop, unquote in serious sadness in that church. Because even in confessing, he wasn't coming clean. And it went on for nine years when this girl was 14 or so. Again, brothers and my heart breaks. But I also know I'm warned this morning again that I am not immune to the deceitfulness of sin. It's what it is. It is deceitful. It's lasting pleasure. It, it deceives to corrupt. It says there, your glory is not good. Paul of the Corinthians again. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, the deception is, the deception is that it can be handled. It can be managed. No, it can't. A little will eventually take over the whole. No one starts out to be an alcoholic. No one starts out to be a drug addict. Just a little, and then as though it can be managed, as though it can be handled, leavened a whole lump. The deception is that it, it will only go so far. No, it will not. It will go all the way. It corrupts silently, imperceptibly, and if not dealt with, Completely. That's the power of sin, the deceitfulness of its power. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that will he also reap. What sin does is it, 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 it deceives to wear down the conscience. That's why we need the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be hearing the word of God. 
The conscience accuses and excuses. A good conscience convicts of what is sin. My, the best illustration I ever heard was a, of this Navajo Indian illustration. The conscience is like a small triangle inside your heart. So long as you do right, it sits still. But when you knowingly do wrong, it rotates and the corners hurt. However, when you harden your heart by ignoring your conscience, God-given good conscience, it keeps turning. Eventually, it wears down the corners so that it doesn't hurt anymore. The deceitfulness of sin is to wear down your conscience, my conscience. A good conscience must be maintained. A good conscience must be, a weak conscience must be, we have to live according to our conscience. But how is our conscience being, being, uh, what's the word I want? Programmed. It has to be through the word of God. Or it won't work correctly. There'll be viruses in the whole system until it's meted out. And thank God that those sin Disease, though sin does all these things, yet God has provided for the cleansing of our conscience through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our conscience before him through baptism. Our conscience before him and our own, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Cleansing our conscience. Would you say amen as a believer? We've got to come to the cross. So hold fast your confidence is my closing point. Hold fast your confidence. He says this several times in Hebrews. He just keeps pointing us back to Jesus and what he did on the cross for us regarding sin. But our heart can be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So hold your confidence, brother, sister. Whatever you're going through, whatever sin needs to be repented of, hold your confidence in Jesus Christ because that's great reward. Forgiveness and reconciling of us to God. Today, Hold your confidence. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, today. Today, hear what the Spirit is saying today, now, this morning. Verse 16, for who having heard rebelled, indeed what is not all those, all who came out of Egypt led by Moses. So do not harden your heart. In other words, do not rebel. Be honest in your own heart before God about what the truth is. Verse 17, now with whom? Was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Beware lest you be hardened. In other words, do not sin. And in verse 18, and to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not, what does it say there? Who did not obey. In other words, hear and obey what God said. How do we do that? Realizing, do not harden your hearts. Beware lest you be hardened, but then hold fast your confidence. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Oh, how wonderful is our Savior. That he would do such a thing for us. That, we, that 
that's why I love that response reading. A call to worship and obedience. And this passage is taken from that psalm. Worship God. Hear Him. Obey Him. Worship Him. Which we want to do now in close if the worship team can come up. As we go on to our next, it's verse 19. See, so we see they could not enter because of unbelief. In other words, we're not believing God. And thus, we're not gonna, that's not going to lead to obedience. So as we sing this final song together, would you stand with me? And I'll come and close with the benediction that's at the end of the book.